alive. That's a great word, isn't it? Do you have some favorite words, some words that you really like? I like that word alive. I know some of you like that word free. You know, anything's marked as free, that's a very popular term. One of my favorite words is the word impact. Impact is a, a strong word that is defined in the dictionary as a striking together. The effect of being hit with force. The force of a collision. The power of an event to produce changes. There have been some events in history that have had an impact upon me personally. The dropping of the atomic bomb, the end of World War II in 1945, had a very personal effect in, in my life. I wasn't born at that time, but my father was in the Navy, and he was on his way to be part of the invasion of Japan. Had they not dropped the bomb and there had to be an invasion of Japan, I might not be here. Very good chance I might not be here. Some of the other things that had a real impact on my life, I don't know about you that wear glasses like I do, but I am very thankful for the invention of eyeglasses. I've had what they call nystigmatism since a very young age in my life, and if I take these glasses off, you guys are all in a fog out there. And there's not even any smoke left over from breakfast or anything. So uh, I'm very thankful for the discovery of penicillin and the polio vaccine. I was in that age when Dr. Jonas Salk discovered the vaccine for polio. Many young people back in the early 50s were getting polio, in the, especially in the summertime it seemed to hit. But uh, Dr. Salk discovered that vaccine. Thank God I had the opportunity to have that vaccine. And Many of you have, maybe all of you have perhaps by, by this time. But um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical event like the others, which has not only had an impact on my li earthly life, but has also had an impact upon my eternal soul and upon everything about my life right now. Jesus' resurrection has hit me with force and has had the power to produce tremendous changes in my life my soul, and my eternal destiny. And that same impact is available for everyone here in this room this morning. The 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is a great passage that speaks of four areas where the resurrection of Jesus Christ has a very personal impact upon me and also on you. Begin following along with me as I read starting at verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of them among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not raise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. 
But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Heavenly Father, we ask as we would consider your word this morning and what it says to us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the impact that it is meant to have on each and every one of our lives. God, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding. And Lord, we pray that we might be personally changed as we consider the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I find, first of all, as I look at this passage of Scripture, that Jesus' resurrection has a, an impact on my sin. And the passage begins in verse 17, says, If he's not risen, then I'm still in my sins, and, and you are still in your sins. Now, that's very uh, important to me because I am a sinner. Uh, and every one of you is a sinner. No, nobody here is gathered in this place today to flaunt our righteousness and how how spiritual and how wonderful we are. I hope we're all here today as sinners gathered in this place to rejoice in the Lord for what He has done for us. Sinners saved by grace. Everyone in this world is a sinner. There's two different kinds, though. There are sinners that are saved by grace, and there are those who have not as yet responded to God's grace. God wants to save sinners. But it says here, if, it, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't take place, then, then we're in trouble. We're still under sin's penalty, which is to spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire, in hell. And we're still in bondage to sin. We can't help but sin in our life. We can't help but rebel against God and live life for our, ourselves. But I thank God Jesus is risen from the dead. And his resurrection proves his identity. And it proves that the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary was sufficient to pay the debt for my sin and your sin and to make us free and holy and righteous before God as we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He also makes us capable of, of living in victory over sin's dominion. Thank God we don't have to be dominated by sin as we go through this life. We can have victory over We can choose not to sin. Fortunately, we can still choose to sin. But we have the ability, when we're in Christ, to also choose not to sin. We also find that we are, are forgiven and set free from that penalty and set free from the dominion. And we also are destined, if we know Christ, to live in a place where there is no sin. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, it talks about a time when the elements are going to be burned up and the heaven, this heaven and earth is going to be passed away. It's going to be purged by fire. And it says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The biggest problem with this world that you and I live in today is that it is a sinful world, full of sinners. One of these days, God's going to change everything. 
He's going to take it back to conditions like they were in the Garden of Eden, only better. Because back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the capability of sinning, and they did. In the new heaven, new earth that the Lord is going to form, we won't even be able to sin. And that'll be a great thing. That sin nature will be gone. In Revelation chapter 21, it talks about this place. It calls it the New Jerusalem. And it says it's a place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And it goes down further in the passage, and it talks about sin being being shut out, not even able to enter the place that God's going to prepare for us. So the resu- and it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he's still in the grave, then, then we're still in our sins. But thank God he's come forth in the grave and we can be delivered from our sin. And if you trusted Christ as Savior, you are delivered from your sin. That's, that's nothing to be proud about. But man, it's sure something to be grateful for, isn't it? To be delivered from sin. What an impact. That's a whole lot better than an impact in an auto collision. But it's just as even more powerful. And what a great thing it's done in our lives. We find that uh, Jesus' resurrection has also had an impact for me, and and I hope for you, on on my attitude toward death. I don't like death. I, I, I hate death. There's no good way to die. Some people say, well, if you die very quickly, that, that's a good way to go. Well, for you it is, yeah, but for the people that are left behind and, and taken totally unaware, that's pretty tough. On the other hand, to, to linger for a long time and know you're going to die and have opportunity to say goodbye to everybody and everybody gets to say goodbye to you, yeah, there, there's blessing in that, but let, let's face it, when you're, you're just wasting away, that, that's not a pleasant thing. Death is not part of God's original creation. It's part of the curse, and, and I hate death. I've done far too many funerals. I've said goodbye to my parents, to my, my in-laws. I've said goodbye to so many church members that I've, I've grown to love over the course of the years, and, and I'm sure even as I mention that, names go through your mind of people that you've had to, to say goodbye to. Death's a, a rough thing, and it's a hard thing to deal with. Even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing he was going to raise him from the dead, just a matter of moments. Death is a usurper, it's an invader that's come into the human race. But I thank God because Jesus died and rose again. Uh, we can still hate death, but we don't have to fear it, and we don't have to be defeated by it, and we don't have to be paranoid about it. We can look towards it if, if the Lord tarries with, with acceptance when the time comes, knowing something about what lies ahead. In uh, verse 18, it talks about uh, those who have fallen asleep. And what it's saying in that verse is, if if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then those that have fallen asleep have perished. The thing that's interesting there is it uses that term sleep, fallen asleep in connection with death. And sometimes we do that. I know when my grandmother passed away, uh, the only child we had was our oldest daughter, Rachel. And uh, we, we tried to prepare her. We took her to the funeral home. She was a couple years old at that time. And, and we told her now, we told her two things. Number one, it's going to look like grandma's asleep. She's going to be laying in the couch. It's going to look like she's asleep. But her soul has gone up to heaven. The body's still there, and it looks like it's asleep. But the soul has gone up into heaven. 
and she handled that very, very well. But we had to fly from Iowa to Pennsylvania for the funeral. And on the way back, one of the things she wanted to know, okay, if the body's there, she looks like she's asleep and the soul's going to heaven, we're going up in that airplane. Are we going to see Grandma in the airplane? Well, <laughs> no, kids take everything you say, right? They take it literally. And she's ready to see Grandma. Well, we use that term sleep, and, and it, it's fitting. Even, even God uses it here in the Bible. Because one of the things it emphasizes is the temporary nature of sleep. For the believer especially. When when we go to sleep, it's a a temporary thing. Now, sometimes we may lay down and we'd be so tired, man, I feel like I can sleep for a month. We never do. We don't sleep. And generally, when we we do go to bed, go to sleep at night, we plan on waking up in the morning. How many of you don't plan on waking up when you go to bed? (laughs) A few over there. (laughs) Of course, I still remember back when I was a child, and uh, the little prayer I learned for bedtime for my folks. Um, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And what's that next line? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. My goodness, what a thought to put in a child's mind <laughs> before they go to sleep at night. But... Uh, for some reason back then, it never really bothered me. I don't remember laying awake at night being paranoid. Oh, man, I hope I wake up. I hope I wake up. Maybe I won't wake up. But, but generally, when we lay down to go to sleep, we plan on waking up. And this term's applied as an analogy to death here in Scripture. Why? Because death is temporary. It's a temporary thing for the believer. It was temporary for Jesus. Did he die on Good Friday? Yes, he did. On the third day, what happened? He rose again. Death was temporary. And thank God for the believer, death is a a temporary thing. Now, if Jesus isn't risen, then death wasn't temporary for him. And it's not temporary for us. The sleep analogy is wrong. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And we can't think of of death in terms of, of sleep. In other passages, it talks about those who sleep in Jesus being raised first when Jesus comes back at the rapture to the clouds to, to catch up, us up to meet him in the air. And, and I, we think about this idea of death that uh, affects my impact, the impacts me concerning the, the death of loved ones to whom we've said goodbye. And we can think of it in terms of sleep. Uh, it, it gives us some, some hope, some comfort. In fact, the, the word cemetery began with early, with early believers. The, the term cemetery comes from a, a term comaterion, which, which means to put to sleep. And that's what early Christians began to call their burial places. They were putting their, their people there to, to sleep, and anticipating one day they would be resurrected and raised from the dead. And I'm so thankful today as I think about the loved ones to whom I've had to say goodbye, that actually we can just say so long. See you in the morning. See you later on. And what a great thing that is to be able to look forward to seeing those loved ones who've gone on before us to glory. We think about our own death, and there's an impact of the resurrection of Christ there for you and for me. You see, one of these days, we're all going to leave this world through death. It's going to happen. There's a lot about my death I don't know. I may not die. If the rapture takes place in my lifetime, 
Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. Will it be sleeping in my bed? Will it be sleeping behind the wheel of my car and scare other people? Uh, you know, we don't know how it's going to happen. But I thank God there's some things about my death that I can know for sure because of Jesus' resurrection. When I die, I know the Bible promises for me to be absent from the body is help me out here is to be present with the Lord. The soul continues to live. It doesn't pass out of existence. By the way, the soul doesn't go into unconsciousness. The, the soul doesn't enter a sleep. When we talk about sleep and relating it to death, it's not a soul sleep. It, it's what the, 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 the body looks like, what it's sleeping. And that's a temporary thing. The soul continues to be alert and know what's going on. We have examples in Scripture in Luke chapter 16. You've got a rich man who dies who's an unbeliever. You've got Lazarus who dies as a believer and both those guys were alert and, and, and conscious, and one was in torment, and one was in a place of comfort and, and blessing and enjoying it there. So we find, and Paul talks about going to be with the Lord, and he says it's far better than, than even being here. And for the believer to, be, is to be, have reward, eternal service, reunion, and ultimately resurrection. Verse 23 goes on, well, starts first of all in verse 20. Uh, verse 19 introduces the thought of, of, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, for all men most pitiable. But in verse 20 it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of more to come. I am so thankful when I have a funeral for somebody that's a believer. I can share with the loved ones that are left behind, hey, Jesus was risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. And because of that, your loved one's going to rise again as well. I can give you comfort concerning their soul. The soul's with the Lord. I can give you comfort concerning their body. Their body's going to be raised a glorified, immortal, incorruptible, resurrection body. And that's all guaranteed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it continues to talk about here in this passage. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. We look forward to that and are thankful to God for what we have. Death is still an enemy, but thank God we don't have to fear it. Thank God we can have hope in the face of it. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul talks to the Thessalonian believers who were concerned their loved ones were going to miss out, who had died, were going to miss out on the second coming of Christ. He says, uh, I write to you, not but we sorrow, but he says, but, but not as those that have no hope. Do we sorrow when a loved one dies? Do we sorrow if we're told that we're going to die and, and, and get a terminal diagnosis? Sure we do. But thank God, in the midst of that sorrow, we also have a sure and certain hope, guaranteed. By the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not wishful thinking. The resurrection of Christ has an impact upon my attitude towards death. And I hope it has an impact on your attitude towards death here this morning as well. It also has an impact upon my service to the Lord. Paul says back in verse 14. He says, if Christ isn't risen, my preaching's vain. Your faith is also vain. And yes, and we're found false witnesses of God. Because we testified of God that he did raise Christ up. And so we find that if Christ isn't risen, 
I am wasting my time here this morning. If Jesus is still dead, if he never came out of that grave, I am wasting my time this morning, and you're wasting your time. It's pointless. And not only that, I'm a liar. Because what am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you, Jesus is alive. I'm telling you, he rose again from that grave on the third day. And if that's not true, then I'm lying to you. But I'm not lying to you. You know why? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And Paul wasn't lying to the people to whom he was writing. I'm not lying to you right now. Anybody preaching the gospel is a truth teller. When they tell you that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and He rose again the third day according to the Scripture and because of that, we can have forgiveness, we can have eternal life, we can have a home in heaven. All those things are, are true because Christ is risen. Because He is risen, all of our labor in the Lord is worthwhile. You get down to this wonderful resurrection chapter and you get down to verse 58. And the Apostle Paul closes it out by saying, therefore, therefore, looking back over everything he said before, and he gives an exhortation, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you serve Jesus Christ in your life, your labor is not in vain. Why? Because he's alive and he sees it. Nobody else may see it. Nobody else may be aware of it. But Christ sees it. And we please him who died for us. We please him who rose again the third day. We please him who one day we're going to see face to face. What a great thing that'll be. All because Christ is risen from the dead. And our labor is not in vain in the Lord. What are you giving your life for? You know, your labor for a lot of other things is in vain. If you're, if you're living just for your job, if you're living just for yourself, if you're living just to accumulate money, if you're living just for a hobby that you enjoy or whatever, you know what, that's all vain because you one day are going to leave that, have to go leave all that behind. So what, what should we do with our lives? Because we have a risen Savior. We ought to invest our lives in serving Jesus Christ as parents, as workers, as neighbors. We ought to look for opportunities to serve Christ in everything that we say and do. Everything we look towards doing in our life, we should be trying to do to his honor and to his glory. Jesus is alive. One day I look forward to hearing him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope you do it too as well. You looking forward to that? One day hearing Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. What a wonderful thing that'll be. Uh, Great that he knows all that's going on in our lives. Finally, Jesus' resurrection has an impact upon my life in general. Uh, if he's not risen, as according to what it says here in verse 19, I should be pitied. If Jesus is not risen, then you should be pitied if you're trusting in him, if you're living for him, if you're serving him. You, could, you should be pitied. But I got good news for you. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. And we should not be pitied. We should be grateful for the life that we have in him. And there's three kinds of life that we can have because Christ is ridden. First of all, we can have eternal life. Uh, it's a great thing. Bible promises, John 3, 16, that tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish 
but have what? Everlasting life. That means continuing existence, but it means even more than that. Life is the idea of a connection. When we're physically alive, our soul and our body are connected. When we die physically, the soul moves out of the body. Spiritual life has a connection with God. God created us to enjoy that that connection with Him, that fellowship with Him. And we find that eternal life isn't just continuing to exist. In John chapter 17 and verse 3, it says that eternal life is to know God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life is to have a relationship with the God of the universe, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have that relationship with Him that that lasts forever and ever and ever. That's what we're created for, and we receive that through repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Christ. What a great thing that is. We also find that, that, that eternal life has to do with being with the Lord in glory forever and ever. We also can have abundant life down here. Jesus said that the the thief comes to to rob and to steal and to kill. But he says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. God wants us to have abundant life. He wants to have a life that's meaningful, a life that literally is, is enjoyable. A life where we can say, I'm glad that I'm alive. Sadly, some people don't feel that way. So in fact, some people get so messed up in their lives that they, they take their own life. If we're walking with Jesus Christ, we don't ever have to get to that place. We can have abundant life and really enjoy every aspect of life. Even when we go through the time of suffering, we can know that there's a loving Heavenly Father that, that allows us to go there and holds our hand as we go through it. Finally, we can have a, because Christ is alive, we can have purposeful life. A life that counts for something. A life that means something. A life that counts for eternity. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. What a statement. What a statement. If you were to say, for me to live is money, what happens when you die? Leave it all behind. You can't take any of it with you. For me to live is, and I've seen these signs, for me to live is shopping. What happens when you die? Can't say to die is, I've seen also, uh, to live is football. To die is not gain, not if life is football. But if we could say, for me to live is Christ, we can really say to die is gain. We can live a purposeful life down here, that counts for eternity. You know, so many things that we do don't count for, for very long. You have to just redo them again later on. But to live for Christ and know Him because He's alive and we'll see Him face to face one of these days. We'll get to see Him and we can say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the greatest gain we can ever experience is to have our risen Savior say to us, well done good and faithful servant, enter. Enter into your reward. Do the things that I have for you to to do for all of eternity so we can have a purposeful life and a purposeful 
eternity. Fact of the matter is Jesus Christ is alive. That impacts my sin. And it impacts your sin, I hope. It can. It impacts my attitude towards death. How in the world can you ever preach funeral after funeral after funeral? Only one reason, because Jesus Christ is alive, victorious over death. It affects my service to Christ. I know I'm not wasting my time. I know that I'm telling the truth, because everything I share with you is based on the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and one of these days we're going to see him face to face. It affects, impacts my life. It can impact yours as well, all because we have a risen Savior. Jesus' resurrection impacts you. It's going to. If it doesn't seem to be, if it doesn't seem to be impacting your life right now, I guarantee you one of these days it will. You will see Jesus Christ face to face, and the only question is, when you see Jesus, will you see him as your Savior? And won't that be a great experience if we see him as Savior? A sinner saved by grace, one who's embraced him and, and one who belongs to him. What a great reunion that will be. Are you looking forward to that? Man, what a great thing to experience. If you don't see him as your Savior, here's the also sad reality. If you don't see him as your Savior, you will see him as your judge. The judge who you've rejected through the course of this life, the judge who's done all for you and going to that cross and dying for your sin, and you'll have to give an account to him as you see him as your judge. My prayer would be that each and every one in this room this morning would be sure that you're going to see Jesus Christ as your Savior. If, you can, if you're sure you're going to see Christ as your Savior, you know you're a sinner, you don't deserve heaven, you don't deserve to be with the Lord forever and ever, but you know because of His promises and because you put your faith in Him, if you know for sure you're going to see Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you say amen? amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you couldn't say that, couldn't say that. We're not here to just heap, heap guilt on you, but I want to make myself available. If you're here and you don't know for sure that Christ is your Savior, I would love to speak with you after the service is over with. Meet me right up in the front, or if I'm out in the foyer greeting people, just say to me, then, hey, I want to make sure I'm going to see Christ as my Savior, not my judge, and I'll take some time with you or find somebody else to do that to help you make sure you can see Christ as your Savior. And what an impact this resurrection is when we think about that. Thank you, Father, for a risen Savior. Thank you for the joy we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the impact, the personal impact the resurrection of Christ has on each one of us here. I pray that you'd help Christians to rejoice humbly, gratefully for what you've done for us and the resurrection of the Savior. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody with us that doesn't know Christ, that they would have no peace until they get this matter settled and they know that Jesus is their Savior, not going to be their condemning judge. Father, we ask this in the Savior's name. Amen.